0: You're listening to Redeeming Grace Audio. For more resources or messages, check out redeeminggracecc.com. I want you to close your eyes. Now, this is going to require a little bit of Scout's honor because I can't see you. But I want you to close your eyes. We're going to do a little imagination game. So I want you to close your eyes and imagine that the world as you know it has suddenly changed. Now, I know this is going to be hard. I know this is going to be a stretch, but I want you to imagine that the world as you know it has just suddenly changed. You can't go the places you want to go. You can't do the things that you want to do. All of the conveniences that you're so used to have been taken away and everything feels like it's completely turned upside down. Now I want you to open your eyes. Yeah, it's not much different out here either. In fact, that just seems to be our reality, right? And it feels very unfamiliar because I know I've never experienced anything like this, but this is not a completely unfamiliar thing for God's people. This is a feeling that God's people throughout all of history, but especially as we see in the scriptures, have found themselves in situations that are very resonant to what we're experiencing now. Sometimes things that are a bit easier to deal with and sometimes things that are much more difficult. And if it makes you feel better, in almost all of these seasons, in almost all of these times since the New Testament, everybody that's gone through a season of this kind of life change and difficulty has been fairly certain that it was a sign of the end, and that Jesus was going to return. And so, if you found yourself nervously going back through some of the Revelation sermons and trying to figure out if I slid one in there about coronavirus about three months ago, or if you've got neighbors that are posting things on their social media about how this represents this represents this represents this, they're not alone. They're in good company of faithful, well-meaning Christians throughout the past two thousand years who, every time their life has changed, has thought surely this is a sign of the return of Christ. When in reality, as we talked about through the Book of Revelation. Revelation, that's not really how we're supposed to be digging through this, but it does leave us with a hard difficulty of how do we adjust to this as normal? No matter how long this lasts, this is going to be a very inconvenient and difficult thing and causing some people incredible difficulty, not just from a physical or health standpoint, but a financial standpoint, a work standpoint, and just the uncertainty of not knowing what everything looks like on the other side of this, whenever that comes. And so we're going to go to Jeremiah chapter 29. And Jeremiah's 29th chapter is one that has had some interpretation difficulties, especially, I think, in American Christianity. It has often been turned into because, you know, you think Jeremiah 29, you think Jeremiah 29, 11, the memory verse that everyone grabs out of this passage And that verse in particular has been used as a mantra for prosperity preachers to say that if you just live in a certain way, if you just do certain things, then God is going to prosper you. Then God is going to give you a future and a hope and give you all of these things. But even on a much more seemingly harmless side, this verse makes its appearance a lot in graduation speeches, on graduation cards, and in things that you say to people as they graduate from high school or college or beyond. Because it sounds nice to be able to say, God has plans for you and plans to prosper you. And so we take this verse and we pull it out of its context and we just apply it broadly across a lot of different situations and turn it into basically some sort of scriptural version of Dr. Seuss's, oh, the places you'll go. And it's reasonable because there is a lot of difficulty in interpreting Old Testament narratives and promises And so it makes sense to a certain degree that we would want to treat it like some sort of Aesop's fables where we can grab the moral out of the story, or we can look at it as a universal principle that applies all the way across the board to all of God's people. So it doesn't matter what the context is. It doesn't matter who it was originally written to. We just grab this, take it to be true, rip it from its context and apply it. And that feels okay, but it's not how we're supposed to approach these kind of texts. When we do come to the Old Testament, when we do come to these Old Testament narratives, then we find some universal truth in the fact that these are commandments given by the God who never changes. As the book of Revelation said over and over and over again, that he is the same today, yesterday, and forever, that he is the God of this moment of past and of the future. And in addition to that, not only do we see his unchangeable character, But we also get to participate and understand this cloud of witnesses that stand as both a warning and an inspiration for God's people. And so while we might not be able to look at this as a one-to-one guide on how God's people can live in a world wrecked by coronavirus or some sort of commandment that extends with these same promises attached to anyone who lives them out in any circumstance or any situation, this passage of scripture does give us a helpful framework as we see how God's people live in uncertain times. And so if you're somebody that likes to write the name of a sermon down, we're going to go through this in two parts, this week and next week, and we're just calling it God's people in uncertain times. And we're going to look at at the people in Jeremiah 29, verses one through 14, see how they responded to their circumstances, recognize it in their context, see how it felt for them, but also Try to understand how, as modern Christians, we can look back on this and see how God instructed his people to live and see how that can help us to be able to navigate difficult and uncertain times as well. And so this week, I'm going to read the entire passage of verse 1 through 14, but we're going to focus on verse 1 through 6 this week and then pick up with 6 through 14 next week as we look at how we can live in these uncertain times. And so this is the word of God. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to surviving elders of the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and, and the queen mother and the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metalworkers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream for it's a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I have sent you into exile. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are. Certain in our times of uncertainty. You're stable in our times of instability. That you are good when it feels sometimes that goodness is hard to find. And so, God, we thank you for the examples in both positive and negative all throughout scripture that help us understand what it looks like to live as your people. God, we thank you that your character, Never changes, that your expectations for your people never change, and that you have called us to live as reflections of your goodness and your glory and your grace wherever we find ourselves and in no matter what situation we might happen to be in. And so, Father God, we do just ask that you bless the reading of your word and its preaching, and that through your Holy Spirit, you would teach us to know you more. And as we learn more of who you are, send us out to do the work that you've called us to do. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. When you think about our current situation, it seems like at least the loudest voices are finding themselves on one of two poles, one of two extremes. And I think that's especially true in Christianity, but I think we have a tendency to fall towards one in particular. But you either have people who are ravaged with fear and anxiety and uncertainty and are overwhelmed by our current situation to the point where they feel hopeless and lost, or you have people that seem to wanna downplay the entire thing this isn't a big deal, this is just a conspiracy, this is just a hoax, X, Y, and Z, fill in the blanks, whatever it is, completely downplaying the entire thing. And I think as Christians, there's a tendency to fall more towards that side, but maybe with different language. And so instead of saying something along those lines, maybe we're saying things more like, well, this isn't a big deal because God's got it. God's in control, God's on his throne, God over viruses, X, Y, and Z. And we say all these things and we say all these mantras, But what that really turns out to mean is that we just kind of don't care or we're trying to at least seem like we don't care. And it can be easy as followers of Christ because we do feel this expectation that we're always supposed to have everything together, that our trust is supposed to be unwavering and that we can never have moments of doubt or concern or anxiousness or even worry, that we have a tendency to want to push all that away and just hide it under this idea of, well, God's in control and God's got this, which is obviously true. That doesn't change the situation and it doesn't make it more pious or more righteous to act like nothing is wrong when maybe we feel like something is. And the very first thing that we see in this passage is this people of God as they were in exile, in a place not their own, as they were taken out of Jerusalem into Babylon, into enemy territory and forced to live in a way that wasn't anything that they were used to, they recognized the situation They didn't ignore it. They didn't overlook it. But God's people in exile, God's people in uncertain situations recognized their circumstances. Look at these first verses. And I'm not going to go through all the names again because, well, I don't want to, but it says, these are the words of the letter from Jeremiah, the prophet sent to Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse two tells us this was after a lot of people had already left the city, but this seems to be a very quick, maybe the, maybe the first tweet in, in news form where we just get a really quick rundown of what's taking place. The people of God, were taken out of Jerusalem and brought into Babylon, out of the promised land that God had had significantly set aside and set apart for them, taken out of their homes, taken out of their routines, taken out of their normal and put in enemy territory and forced to be a part of a community that they had no desire to be a part of. But even more than just a recognition of the facts, as we see the people of God in exile in the latter half of the Old Testament, there's also a recognition of feelings. There's a wrestling with fear and with pain and with grief. I mean, my goodness, Jeremiah is referred to as the weeping prophet because his ministry was so overwhelming and so difficult because he had opposition from within and from without and was constantly dealing with the hardships of ministering to an obstinate people in the midst of exile, in the midst of a foreign and enemy territory. But not only that, when we look at the book of Lamentations, It's an entire book of the Bible where people are crying out because they know that God had sent them into exile and their lives were horribly and radically changed because of it. And so they were crying out in grief. They were crying out in sorrow. They were crying out in frustration. And that doesn't mean that they had lost the truth of who God is. Because again, right there in the middle of Lamentations is the reminder that God's mercies are new every morning. And so they knew God's got this. They were aware of the fact that God is in control. They were aware of the fact that God's mercy was new every morning, but they still cried out to God anyway. They still expressed their fears and their concerns and their brokenness. They recognized the depths of the situation and the circumstances that they found themselves in. And so for us, what we can learn from that is that it doesn't help anyone or anything to downplay our circumstances. If you find yourself feeling afraid, then express that. If you found yourself anxious and worried or concerned or maybe a little germophobic more so than you ever have been in your life, it's okay to express that and say, God's got this, but I'm not okay right now. Even though we're, we're separated and spread apart, those admissions of vulnerability are what gives us the opportunity to be the church and to be a community that loves and cares for one another. And so reach out to your brothers and sisters in Christ and say, I'm not doing okay right now. I'm concerned financially. I'm concerned about my health. I'm concerned just about the fact that I don't know what the next week, two weeks, three weeks, or a month looks like. And I need some encouragement and I need some support. Cry out to God and ask for him to give you that peace that surpasses all understanding. But also if you're in a place where you're feeling pretty strong. And you're feeling pretty certain. And when you say God's got it, that's because it's coming out of a place of pretty bold and unnatural confidence at a time like this, then share that confidence with others. Don't put them down for their fear or their anxiety or their their worry or concern, but help bring them up to where you are to listen to the needs and the hurts and the wants and the desires of the people around you and be the hands and feet of Christ and speak words of affirming truth of the gospel and show people how to live under the beauty of recognizing that God really is in control. We need to live with a keen sense of reality, not making it worse than it is, not falling into to dramatics or a sense of hopelessness or loss, but also not downplaying the situation to the fact that we act like there's nothing different or abnormal about the circumstances in which we're placed. But also while we live with that keen sense of reality, we need an openness to express how we feel not only to God, but to one another in these times so that we can sharpen one another, so that we can encourage one another, and so that we can build one another up. And so we start by recognizing the situation. But then also it's important to recognize God's sovereignty. Look in verse four. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Ugh. That's rough. And that's gotta be rough for the people of Israel to hear this. Because God says, the people who are in exile, whom I have sent from Jerusalem to Babylon. He's not writing a letter to people that have helplessly been taken away by this foreign invading enemy. But God says, no, Babylon may be the culprit here, but I'm the one who's behind it. And it can be easy to look at that passage and say, whoa, God, what? What do you mean? You're the one that sent these people out of the land that you promised them out of the land that you went to great pains to bring them into. And now you've sent this invading army and to take them out of their homeland and into exile. But while that may be shocking to read, it wasn't that shocking for the people of Israel, at least for the ones who had been paying attention. Because there's a lot of lead up that gets here. God had sent prophet after prophet after prophet to warn the people, hey guys, if you don't stop, if you don't stop longing after these foreign gods, if you don't stop falling into idolatry and all of these sinful practices, then God is going to move here and God is going to bring discipline and punishment on you. If you're not careful, this is coming. Ezekiel said, my goodness, guys, I have a vision of God leaving the temple. And yet the people didn't listen. And so now they find themselves in a situation of their own doing. Now, here's where we see a little bit of a difference between their situation and ours. Because just as it's easy in a situation like this, where things are different and we have especially sickness and, and death involved in the circumstances and life completely thrown out of rhythm, while we can jump into the eschatology of it all, of trying to draw our charts and figure out how the coronavirus fits into Jesus' Olivet Discourse or the book of Revelation and an air on that side, there's also a tendency and a temptation to err on the side of, oh, well, this must be judgment. This must be, God is judging us because of this, 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 and this. But we have some careful warnings that we need to take into consideration here. And Jesus gives us several of those reminders in the gospels. When the disciples came upon a man who was born blind, they asked Jesus a very reasonable question for their time. Who sinned? Was it this man that sinned, or was it his parents that sinned? Whose sin was the cause of his blindness? And Jesus says, No, that's, that's not the point here. This man is in this situation so that I can show my power through him. And Jesus restored his sight so that he could be shown to be exactly who he was. In another time, in Luke chapter 13, Jesus references to pretty horrific instances that were going on in the life of the people in this first century world. And Luke 13, verse one, it says, there were some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and were killed, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And so again, just because the people of Israel had fallen into sin and that's why they found themselves in exile, we don't have to try to look for a source of sin on why this is going on in our community, in our nation, and in our world. We can look at this, is the reminder that life is very finite and that we do need to repent and turn to the goodness of the gospel and trust in him. But while we don't have to look at this as an active act of God's judgment, it doesn't seem that there's any reason for us to believe that. We do look at this and we remember that all circumstances, all situations, all seasons of life come and go under the sovereignty of God. There's not been one thing that's taken place over time and space and history and all of God's creation that's happened without God's hands of protection and control around it. There's not been one moment in history where it's happened and God thought, oh man, I didn't see that coming. There's not been one thing that's happened that God is not able to take it no matter how difficult, how wicked or how vile and work it and use it for his glory and the good of those who love him. But here, everything in the life of Israel in chapter 29 was out of their control. And that is something that we can relate to. Maybe not to quite the same extent, because at least we can go home. But we know what it feels like now to have our daily rhythms and routines and life completely changed and altered. But we have to remember that while this situation is out of our control, nothing is out of the control of our God. Nothing takes him by surprise or moves beyond his grasp. In the book of Revelation, we saw this reminder that the triune God is moving and active in his world as we saw Jesus in the midst of the churches and the Holy Spirit empowering the churches and the believers of God to do the work of God. And all along, throughout all of the history that the book of Revelation covers, God is on his throne and now, one thing happens that makes God shake his head in bewilderment, that makes God go back to the drawing board, that makes God try to figure some things out, that makes God get off of his throne. Nothing causes him anxiety or worry because he is sovereign over all things. And so it's important for us to remember that God is with us, that God does have this, and that God is in control. And to do that, We need to be very conscious of his presence and practice the presence of God in our lives, practice remembering that the Holy Spirit is in and through us working constantly, even if we can't meet together as a church, that God is still active in our lives and working through all the things that are happening, even right here and right now, and to remember that God is sovereign over unstable, uncontrollable, and unimaginable circumstances. And so no matter what you may be feeling now, while God is familiar with that because we know that Jesus suffered and it was tempted in every way that we were, God is not feeling those. God isn't worried. God isn't frightened. God isn't nervously anticipating what comes next because God holds time and space in the palm of his hands and we can place our ultimate hope and trust and affection in the un imaginable God who can calm our fears, quiet our nerves, and hold the chaos in the palm of his hands. And so we recognize our situation, but even more importantly, we need to recognize God's sovereignty. And then finally for today, Once we recognize those two truths, that we are in a unique circumstance and situation beyond our control, but also that we have a God who controls all things, then we need to learn to find our rhythm in our new normal. We find our rhythm in our new normal. Now, I can't imagine how salty I would be in exile maybe I could. I spent a lot of my youth grounded, but at least then I was at least in my room and in my house. And even now I've seen a lot of the memes going around about people that are thriving versus people that are surviving. I'm kind of admittedly falling in that thriving camp because I'm a little bit of a homebody. I like to be home. I like to be around my people and I like contained environments. But If this got to a point where I had to go somewhere else, where I was taken out of my home and the routines that I have here and forced to live somewhere that I didn't want to be in a place that I was unfamiliar with, I assure you I would be a very unpleasant person at least for a little while until I could get my bearings all put back where they're supposed to be. But for these people in Jeremiah chapter 29, their homes, their routines, their eating habits, their lives, even their worship was completely shaken apart and there was nothing they could do about it. And so once they're there, they have a few options for response. One, they could just shut down. They could say, you know what? I'm done. You guys want me over here. You want to take us out of our homeland. You want to bring us here and you want to expect us to work and to live and to do things for you. Not going to happen. I'm going to hole up in this place that you've given me. I'll hunger strike. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to interact with you. I'm not going to have anything to do with you. I'm certainly not going to work for you. And if you want to kill me, fine, kill me. Cause you've already ruined my life. We're just going to be over here doing our thing. You do whatever you want to do. They also could have tried to rebel. They could have gotten together in hushed meetings and whispered about weaknesses in the Babylonian empire And thought, maybe if we just did this and this and this, and maybe if we tried this and this and this, and they start bringing together and the group begins to grow and they could try to rebel and overthrow the Babylonian government and take back not only their land, but this new land. But there was also a third option. In fact, this one was more of a commandment than an option. And that was they needed to live. Look at verse four through six. You need to go about the things that you were doing and live your life in Israel in Babylon. Now, again, we know that we can't live our life like normal right now. That's the whole point of all of this, that we need to break with our normal routines and our normal habits and the places that we normally go. We can't live normal lives. Although if you want to plant a garden and eat its food, now would probably be a good time to start doing that. But we've already talked about through the entire book of Revelation what life looks like in the in-between. And that we are called to always be active, to always be working, and to always be worshiping. But when our rhythms get interrupted, even in a small way, it can throw us off if you have a little extra traffic on the way to work, if something doesn't go the way that you're supposed to, if your printer doesn't work right at work, if whatever happens, if something small throws off just the normal rhythm and the normal flow of your day, it can really mess up the rest of the day. And when you have something of this magnitude, of this size that we're experiencing now, where the entirety of our life rhythm is thrown off, it can throw us into chaos and it can even throw us into apathy. Where we just say, you know what? Why bother doing anything? This is maybe hopefully just a temporary thing. I'm just going to wait it out here. I'm just going to bury my talents. I'm just going to sit in my house. I'm not going to go out. I'm not going to do anything. I am just going to sit here and not care about anything until I can get back to life the way that I want it. But as we've seen all the way through the New Testament, the kingdom of God is not a place and our faith is not a nine to five. And we don't have the option to set down the work that Christ has called us to do just because our situations are less than ideal, just because our situations are chaotic. My goodness, to these people that were in exile in Babylon, their situation was tragic. And God still expected them to do the work that they were called to do. Just because the world stops doesn't mean that we do. We just have to adapt to our new normal and reset the rhythm around the gospel. To the people in exile, God said, you're in Babylon. Deal with it. Plant your gardens, live your life. As we're going to see next week, he instructs them to live for the welfare of their city, this city that he had placed them in. But he says, your identity is my people. It hasn't changed. You're not Babylonians now. You're still the people of God and you still need to act like it and you still need to live like it. And the same challenge echoes through generations of Christians who have found themselves in exile time and time again in a variety of different circumstances. And so no, we can't do life or we can't do community as normal. But the gospel hasn't changed. And our calling as followers of Christ hasn't changed. And so how are you using your time at home? How am I using my time at home? How are we using our relationships? How are we using the tools that we've been given to live uniquely in this season? How are we using social media? How are we using our phones and being able to communicate in the ways that we can? Are we wasting time because of bitterness or boredom or frustration? Or are we maximizing this moment for the gospel? Are we looking for every opportunity that we can to love our neighbors as ourselves from a distance of six feet or more in groups of no more than 10? Are we utilizing the resources that we have to be able to encourage our loved ones to be able to reach out to the people in our church, to be able to reach out to the people in our community? Are we looking for opportunities to serve the elderly and the vulnerable in our neighborhoods and in our areas and the places that we can touch without disrespecting the requests that are being made by our government in this time? Are we living as kingdom people in the midst of uncertain and difficult circumstances? We absolutely can be. And I feel confident that we are learning some things about church and about what it means to be the people of God. Things that maybe Christians in America haven't had to wrestle with maybe since the institution of our country or before. And so we have an opportunity to learn some new means of evangelism, to learn some new means of mercy ministry and serving those in our community but also even some things that we can take with us as a church beyond this morning prayer and checking in with each other every single day and making sure that we're communicating across the board. So no, this isn't ideal far from it, but that circumstance does not change who we are as a follower of Christ. You've been given a mission as redeeming grace community church, we have been given a mission. I know we probably have some people joining us from other places and other possibly even other churches, all of us as Christians, part of the church with a capital C, we have been given a mission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the things that Christ has commanded us. and we don't get to remove that commandment just because our circumstances change. And so we need to be people of action, people of work and people of worship, even in the midst of difficult and overwhelming times. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and we praise you for who you are and all that you've done. God, we just ask that you would help us to come to terms with our circumstances Help us to understand well our situation. To be okay at times with not being okay, but to trust more than we fear. To remember that the God who feeds the sparrows and clothes the flowers of the field is the God who saved us and sustains us by his grace and his mercy. God, I pray that you would give us a peace that surpasses all understanding and beyond that, that you would help us to be peacemakers in a world filled with so much uncertainty and chaos. God, that we would recognize your sovereign hand over all things and that you would be honored and glorified through our lives. But God, that we would, in the midst of this time, no matter how long it lasts, learn to reset our rhythms, to find a new normal, but to center that new normal around the gospel. And that we would be your hands and feet in a time when we can't touch anyone. That we would be your church in a time when we can't come together. Mm -hmm. And that we would constantly be finding new ways to love and to serve a lost and broken world around us. And to reach them with the good news of Jesus Christ. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.